previously on Some Like It Pops Making a Musical, hosted by Jennifer McHugh. There are moments when you hear something and you know that's the million dollar idea. These two kind of rambunctious nerds have been trying to use science to win themselves popularity. Something goes wrong and Griff turns invisible. Griff is, he's your, your standard nerd ball. He just wants a better life. I heard his pitch and it pushed every single one of my buttons as far as what I wanted to do artistically, what I wanted to say. I really get moved by the end because I feel like everybody learns to accept each other for each other's differences. Here's a show that's about what it means to see another human being, but is actually a broad comedy, yeah, but I get to write pop music. That, huh? It's kind of useful being invisible. In this episode of Making a Musical, we are talking to a few of the behind-the-scenes people who have assisted in getting Invisible the Musical this far. First up, we got the chance to talk to T.J. Dawson, executive producer, artistic director of 3D Theatrical. This is how we beat Chetlick at his own game? We just use your invisibility to make me popular, and then once we find a cure for you, I'll just bring you up to my level. You being invisible isn't a disaster. It's not even a problem. It's the solution. Today we are talking to T.J. Dawson. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. And you were the executive producer, artistic director of 3D Theatricals? Yes. Okay, so we understand that you were involved with Invisible the Musical. If you could just tell us what your role was and how you became involved with this project initially. Yeah, we had um, been introduced through mutual friends uh, through New Musicals, Inc., who had been originally involved in the development of the show. And uh, have since had a couple readings that we were, um, it was kind of done in cooperation with our rehearsal, or excuse me, with our production company. And um, yeah, now we're uh, hoping to be able to uh, eventually program it as a part of our main stage season um, and also fulfilling our mission statement for producing new works. So yeah, we're really excited about this project. Um, David Orris, can you tell us what your experience working with TJ is? TJ is incredibly insightful. Um, I forget at which point in the process we were, but we uh, we were at one of the early rehearsals from a couple readings ago, and he walked in, and I had just tried a couple things. One, we were struggling with the number if I were invisible, or I was struggling with the number, trying to get the tone right. And I, I, I think only now in this last round of revisions, through a lot of TJ's notes, I think we finally got it right, but literally just... But at that point, we were still struggling with it. He walked in and was like, I don't think that's working. And I had just changed the key. Um, we have these characters, Madison and Melrose, sort of the uh, bitchy queens of the school. And I had tried lowering it. TJ had never heard the number. He didn't know this. He didn't really know the show at that point. He walked in. He was like, that number sounds too low. I think you're struggling with that. Like, he literally just... <laughs> pinpointed every exact thing it was like he was psychic um (laughs) so he he really he's he's got an incredible eye for um matters of theater and he's 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 incredibly smart and we're also just fans we've they do these incredible truly broadway level productions um every season we we saw in the last year or so we saw their adam's family and their hello dolly and beauty and the beast um, and, uh, they just do these, these lavish, amazing productions. Um, I think their beauty and the beast got better reviews than Disney's own touring cast. Um, <laughs> so it's, we're, we're, we're fans, um, for very, very real reasons. And it's kind of a match made in heaven. So we're, we're really excited about working with TJ to say the least. Oh, thank you. <laughs> David Hollingsworth, anything to add? Well, I mean, everything that that um, that David Orris has said, I, it, TJ just has like a real eye and a and kind of immediate ear for for what we're going for and uh, what's going to work. It's yeah, I mean, it, sort of from jump when when he kind of joined in on the process of working on these uh, developmental uh, readings, it's it, he's he's just been immediately kind of able to walk in and say, oh, okay, this is I I get what you're going for. I think this is working. I think this isn't like. 
I, I th- during the reading we had Eva just essentially came in and uh, was like, I don't know if this character is working. And we're like, all right, let's, let's try the show without him. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> right and there and there. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> within a week it was like, oh, okay, well there's, there's some like, uh, that's actually freed up a lot of time and like kind of smoothed, uh, smoothed everything down a little bit. And the, the, the ship's running a lot smoother now. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been great just working, uh, working with someone who can kind of immediately grasp what's going on. TJ, can you tell us, um, what your first impressions were and why you were so, um, attracted to this project? Yeah. Um, first of all, um, I think that these two guys are, uh, incredible. Um, the Davids as they are affectionately called as a, as a duo, but, um, really bring such incredible things to the table as individuals. And I was really attracted to the project because it felt young and fresh and something that, uh, it, it just, when you, when you hear the music, you can just feel when something is on the verge of being the next thing, you know what I mean? And it just has that vibe and it's kind of hard to describe, but it has a really great, sense of humor and um, has a great heart to it, has a great message to it. It has all the right pieces and the score is really catchy and audiences really do eat it up even in its early stages. And when you have audiences that are reading, you know, laughing out loud as much as they do with this particular show, um, you know that, you know, it only can get better because readings are always a delicate part of the process. So um, yeah, it was it was just something I felt like I I could add something to, you know, and add, add help to be a part of the team. And um, they were so gracious and you know welcomed me with open arms and and my feedback. And that was really uh, instantly felt collaborative, which is how I like to work. So that's kind of all what attracted me to the project. Do you have a particular song or a moment that really stood out to you as something um, very memorable to rem- memorable to you? You know, um, it's interesting. Not really. Uh, the bully is, yeah, Chetwick. Um, he, (laughs) him and his cronies are hysterical. Um, their stuff, I mean, everything is really well written. And once you talk about one song, you're kind of like, oh, but the song, you know what I mean? Like, it's all really great. And like, you get to hear people, you know, sing their face off, but then also, um, really connect to an emotional, story while still having its tongue firmly planted in the cheek kind of thing. But those characters specifically um, are, are pretty hysterical. And um, there's an actor who's without totally trying to speak out of turn, but it's kind of, uh, I think attached to the project and he is um, really quite brilliant in his interpretation of, of this role. And um, so anyway, so that, that's a, a big standout and an audience favorite, I think, but um We've Just talked honest. a lot about Jordan. You don't have to be shy. Oh, about it. <laughs> okay, yeah. So Jordan, yeah. The Jordan, Jordan love awesome. fest continues. Yeah, we have gushed, yeah. we have gushed about Jordan for like yeah. every episode of the series. <laughs> I love it. Well, he's made a, another <laughs> appearance. So yeah, Jordan is awesome, and um, he really just embodies and owns. And he couldn't be the, a nicer human being. So it's it's nice. Um, you know, that that's the opposite. Um, but his performance in the show is just so perfect. So, but I think honestly, what gets me the most as opposed to one particular moment is just that it's so identifiable. And I think continuing to get even more so in the, um, you know, that, uh, we all sat down and talked about after the last reading, you know, some, some thoughts on some, possible changes and this and that, you know, kind of the evolution of the show and how to get even further to the heart of the piece and the message of the piece. And also really like showcase more of a wider variety of groups within, well, you say school, but that's how it is throughout your whole life, right? There's always different cliques and different groups. And so I think what I love about it is that it's universal message and that everyone can identify with some portion of it, whether you are you were a bully and have learned or you were the bullied or, you know, whatever that is. It's, I really think it just, people can connect with it on a uh, molecular level. So, yeah. 
I'm pretty sure our listeners are are pretty skilled in knowing the different roles and productions and everything that takes place. But could you kind of go into exactly what your job is as the executive producer? Sure. What I would oversee and collaborate is making sure that that the writers are getting all that they need, and that also um, that the show is getting every everything that it needs, and that the show is something that will end up being something that really will ultimately fit our programming and our style and and fit for our audiences and making sure this is something that that the Davids and I talked about was that that they never feel like through that process that their work is ever being compromised you know if it's like taking something out or adding something in that they only uh, ever feel like as we're walking down this road, that their show is getting better as opposed to sidestepping or backtracking. We always want them to get the show that they want, but that um, I'm there to kind of bridge the gap, making sure that as an outsider, someone who isn't emotionally attached to the piece, that I can say a little bit more objectively, like, this is a great moment, this is a great song, but I really feel like what about this? And I don't ever run anything like a dictatorship. It's always a conversation because I'm always like open to the other opinion. So, but yeah, just making sure there's a constant dialogue of trying to get to the best show we possibly can. So that's kind of like my overall thing. And then obviously making sure that the physical production and the cast and everything is all right and cast and that the production team, the artistic team and all that is uh, all the right puzzle pieces are in place. So that's kind of like the other half of it. But as it directly relates to the, the show as a show, more like about that collaboration, making sure we're just taking another step forward and in uh, fleshing it out. David Hollingsworth, do you want to speak to how vital his role is in bridging that gap? Yeah, the I mean, the main thing is, yeah, we are getting the stage to the show. Or, or I apologize. But let me reverse that. <laughs> getting the show to the stage. Um, <laughs> often, I, like, you know, there, there, there's sort of this cliche that, like, that in order to do that, you really have to compromise what the show is about. There's sort of the, this this idea, right? I, I think, in any kind of writing, in order to, like, you know, a, appease some sort of... Uh, uh, I don't know what some sort of institution that you have to you have to compromise what you're what you're going for, but uh, sort of what 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 TJ's role has been what what it what it would be really um, is just making yeah like like he said making sure that that the the project remains collaborative as opposed to like adversarial and uh, like as as artistic director kind of the maintaining the integrity of the vision is really uh like he's shown such kind of immediate and um, remarkable commitment to that um, already that his work would and will be vital. TJ still involved at this point? Oh, yeah. Um, so we have um, the next part of the process. Um, the guys, um, we had this great meeting where we talked about the show and actually some pretty large, well, I mean, they're large to me. I don't know how large they were for them, but some pretty um, significant alterations, I guess we can call them, changes, whatever. Oh, and, yeah, very um, significant. Yeah, pretty significant, I would say then. Um, and uh, we're going to get, um, you know, us together and sit around a table and reread. Um, that's, uh, sorry, my 21-month-old making a guest appearance on the show. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, we're going to go and um, reread those changes and uh, see if we all feel like after hearing it out loud that the show is at that point, we feel like, yeah, this is ready to be programmed. Let's now figure out when that's going to happen. Or if there's anything that, you know, I go, whoop, go back or, you know, whatever the case is, you know, we get to hear it out loud and kind of make our assessment at that point. But that's kind of the next part of the process. So still still feel pretty involved and we just got this new draft recently so we're super excited and i've started to read through it and really dig in the changes i'm such a visual person though so i'm more excited to um, see and hear hear the changes and uh was so excited about the revisions just because they seemed so excited and enthusiastic after the meeting about the, the different thoughts that I had brought to the table that just kind of opened them up to, Oh yeah. What about this and this and this? And so um, I think a lot of positive will have come from that and we'll see kind of where we go from there. Sounds great. 
David Orris, do you um, want to add anything about your relationship working with TJ and what he's brought to the script so far with his involvement? Uh, just kind of mirror what both Hollingsworth and TJ have said, which is it has been enormously collaborative and it's been so wonderful because as I said before, TJ is so insightful and he's so sharp, but you never feel like there, like you said, there are never any edicts handed down and it never feels that way. I feel, we feel so supported. Um, you know, we walked out of that last meeting and we poured ourselves for like hundreds of hours into this latest draft and we've literally done, I, I don't even know at this point how to quantify it. I would say probably about 20 full drafts of the show, literally. Wow. Um, and this is the draft I've walked away from going, we did it. And we like, we walked, it was, we walked out of the meeting from the moment we walked out of the meeting till we finished this current draft, it was just the most complete feeling and everything he brought to the table were things that we'd either thought of or been afraid of or had never occurred to us. We now have Valley girls and stoners, <laughs> like all <laughs> the groups of kids that were not in the show before. And just these little insightful tweaks that just makes, makes the show feel so much grander, but without that much, that many more bodies necessarily on the stage. It's more about TJ just really knows what he's doing. And it has felt incredibly, we felt incredibly supported. So I'm repeating oh. myself, but things. Yeah, even, <laughs> a lot of the yeah. notes even just seemed like very organic things that were kind of coming up anyway, that kind of, even as Oris was talking about the, the inclusion of Valley girls and stoners and, and sort of these different groups kind of came from, as we were going through, we had these chorus members on stage and a lot of them were doing a lot of business and we really liked that about it. And as we were going, we were kind of more leaning in to that as the drafts were progressing. And then during that meeting, TJ just said, like, we should just really go full bore and like make that kind of this, this own universe and give those course members stuff to do. That's going to be fun and let them make choices and let them really breathe on stage. And that's now in the script. Like it's, it's part of the show. And I, I think the show's going to really benefit from it. Sounds good. TJ, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? Um, yeah, no, just in that kind of touching a little bit on what they just said, I really wanted to feel like it was uh, truly like kind of ensemble piece while still telling like the leads stories, but wanting to make sure that the ensemble was, um, really utilized to their fullest potential. And, um, so I think that fans of the show, people who know the show and have been fans of the work for, from its beginnings, I think are going to see, a really awesome evolution of it and fun new things and new characters and something that feels even more alive. And while we are, while it, it needed to have like a true high school feel where we're not just experiencing it from a one-sided point of view, but we're kind of getting all sides of it. So I'm, I'm excited to see the evolution, the ever ongoing, you know, evolution of the piece. And, and hopefully this is like David said, the, the final draft where we can kind of take this now to the, to the big stage. Next, we got the chance to talk to Katie Sullivan. She was the co-director of the very first staged reading of Invisible the Musical. Okay, we are here with our favorite Davids, David Oris and David Hollingsworth, and we are going to introduce a new member of their creative team for the Invisible the Musical, and her name is Katie Sullivan. Hi, Katie. Hi. And could you tell everybody listening a little bit about yourself before we get started? Of course. I have been friends with David Orris of the Davids for a number of years. And um, I sort of 
I mean, I grew up an actress and grew up in the musical theater and that was sort of my passion. And maybe that was one of the ways that we originally sort of connected and loved each other <laughs> from, from the start. <laughs> but, but, uh, we, we've been friends for, for a long time and, and connected in that way. And, um, I'm an actress by trade normally done a little bit of directing. And, and when David approached me about directing the first staged reading of Invisible, I was super excited and honored to be asked in the first place. But I'm just I, at the end of the day, you know, we're all storytellers. And that's what we try to do. And and I think they're telling a really fun and exciting story. So to be a part of it in any way, uh, was just like, yes, and like, how do I do this? So um, yeah, that's a little bit about me, I guess. David Orst, would you like to chime in? Katie's a phenomenal actress and theater artist, and you've probably seen her on TV. You've probably, um, she a few years ago did uh, a really phenomenal, very heavy play at the Goodman in Chicago called The Long Red Road, where she was directed by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, she starred opposite Tom Hardy, her stage husband. And, uh, She's just, if you ever get to see her work, she throws herself completely into what she does. Um, and uh, she's, her her range is endless. The Long Red Road was like this heavy, heavy, heavy thing, but she can do big, broad comedy. She's also a kick-ass singer, not for nothing. There's very little she can't do on top of being a Paralympic athlete. And she's one of my best friends, so uh, I couldn't not, I mean, it was just, it, it was a little too serendipitous. She's a musical theater nerd like me who's kind of a theater genius <laughs> who can kind of do it all. So how, how could we not ask her to do that if she's willing? David Hollingsworth, would you like to add anything? Well, the, uh, the, the, the first time I met Katie, I believe, I believe this was the first we met, was uh, actually going over the script uh, at her apartment. And um, I remember even just, uh, just then, uh, like, this was, this was my first foray into any kind of a serious production of anything and uh just her her immediate kind of type a on top of it like all right we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do this was was so like immediately calming to the process well, um, she's so loving and so giving and was so responsive to the material and just so supportive and has been such absolutely. a cheerleader every step of the way yeah and 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 it was it was the exact level of support and uh, determination that we needed uh, and it was it was incredibly comforting at that moment yeah katie um so here are the two these two davids are and they approach you with this idea and this script and what was it that drew you to this production i mean obviously first to be supportive of friends and and to be excited for them but i mean to me at the end of the day um, I'm a storyteller and I feel like we're all storytellers and I feel like what they had put together was so new and exciting. This sort of retelling of where maybe we all came from <laughs> in our youth and who we identified in high school, you know, as ourselves in high school and things like that. But just being able to say, okay, but what's the story? Like to me, I think that's the big trick with musical theater and going kind of growing up in the theater and stuff like that. It's like, even with music, it's where's the through line. What are you trying to do with this material? Where are you going with this song? What do you hope to have happen at the end of it? And I think that that's where we really started to kind of dig into or really early on is like, what was the through line of the story that we were telling um, and that was what I was hoping to sort of bring to sort of, you know, obviously like the first staged reading of this show. I mean, yes, it's like words and music, but like, how do you integrate those things and where's the through line between the two? I think that's the most important thing with a musical. Were you a part of the casting? We did. We did spend a little bit of time um, auditioning people. And I think we had a really great cast for our first stage reading and, Obviously, it's going to morph and change and what we're going to try to find and, and who characters become over time will change. But I think what we were able to sort of create and find is that first team was pretty extraordinary. I mean, I feel like we had people who were excited about the project, but also like 
willing to sort of throw themselves into very little rehearsal, but feeling passionate about the project. And um, I think we had some really great voices behind that first production. Yeah, we did. And Um, and in large part, thanks to Katie, too. Katie brought in, like, her friend, Nicole. Nicole, yeah, Nicole Mangie. She's a Broadway singer. And people that I knew that were musical theater people that kind of brought their own sort of color to the table. And Katie, as a musical theater nut like these other two, were there any (laughs) um, particular songs or moments in the play that really stood out to you that made you help identify that you wanted to be a part of this? I mean, obviously... David, David Horace knows that I'm a huge fan of Girl in the Dark. I think he probably knew what I was about to say before I even said it. Here's the thing. If you can create songs and write moments for actors where they want to go somewhere else and sing that song, you know that you have something special. You know how you have something extraordinary. And That is, to me, just being a a soprano and a a girl who grew up singing on my own and, you know, whatever, like (laughs) being that sort of theater nerd, like having that torch song that you can take out of this show and say, that's the defying gravity. That's that moment that girls are going to want to sing. To me, that was just like, you know, whenever my iPod is on shuffle and it comes on, I just get excited. Like, it's this beautiful piece of music that I can't wait to sing somewhere, Um, you know. And I think those are those kind of exciting things. If you start to see your pieces show up in auditions, like cattle call auditions, you know you've done something extraordinary. And I really feel like there are a couple of songs um, in this show. And it's not just Girl in the Dark. That's for kind of girls. But like, there are some songs in the show that will show up and, and people will want to sing them regardless of like, did I get cast in Invisible or not? I don't think it gets us anything, but it's really nice that people like it. No, but I feel like that is a testament of material that connects with people. If people are going away with material and saying, I want to share this, I want this to be what my 90 seconds of my audition for whomever, you know, fill in the space here, that's extraordinary that people are taking this away and saying, I think this is something that I... I believe in, but also it reflects my talent. Um, I, I don't know if there's a better compliment to a composer and a writer to, than to say, I'm bringing this into my audition with me next week for whomever. I totally agree. It's, it's an enormous compliment. I'm very yeah. humbled and grateful. Katie, I'm assuming for the people listening, because we are based on a Broadway site that everyone knows, but just for the sake of argument, could you explain the difference between a staged rating and a full stage production? So, yeah, of course. So um, staged reading is more of you're not doing blocking choreography. Um, you will have your scripts in front of you, um, generally like music stands, whatever it is that's not going to be so cumbersome. You really want to give the actors the space to relate to each other and be with each other in those moments. Um, but you, it's also limited in the amount of hours in terms of like equity of like the amount of time that you have to prepare. So you won't be off book. You'll see people reading and things like that. But the really focus is trying to find out what is this through line, getting the music as great as you possibly can. And then, you know, going out there and trying to tell the best story you can. And as a director, is it is it a little bit more challenging that you have that almost prop in everyone's hands? I mean, honestly, for us, that first staged reading of Invisible, for me, it was really like, <laughs> there's this whole added challenge of the fact that one of the characters becomes invisible. So thanks you guys. Thanks, David. And David. <laughs> like, <laughs> literally, yeah. Someone is supposed to disappear. And actually that's, I, I, I would argue that it's like the great thing about doing a stage reading and, and not so much, but like the fact that you rely so much on the book and the, and David Hollingsworth and how he tells the story and the stage directions and where we go 
in the fact that we have to rely on the fact that that stuff tells the story. And I think he does a great job of filling those gaps in between uh, the songs and between what's going on to kind of help us do that narrative. And I think in some ways, as a staged reading, it's a it's a wonderful gift in some ways because you don't have to worry about all of the technical stuff that gets in the way. You really can focus in on, yes, okay, your character is invisible right in this moment, but we don't have to worry about that because we're not doing a full staged production. Can you focus on what your character wants in this moment, what you're going after, and focus on the scene at hand instead of necessarily did the puppet work in that moment? And how long did you have to rehearse before the actual staged reading took place? We had 20 hours of rehearsal. (laughs) So full ensemble, full harmony, all of this stuff, getting all of the, you know, the music correct and all of those things. And then being like, oh, yeah, what's your objective in this scene? So it's very challenging, but I think we had this incredible cast that was, I know they gave way more than 20 hours of their time to, to what it is we were trying to do. And I think they did an amazing job of telling that story and coming together as a team. And, you know, yes, we only had 20 hours of, of rehearsal time, but I think I, I really honestly feel like we, we did a really great job in that first time around. Um, This is for Katie and the Davids. You have 20 hours of rehearsal and you have a staged reading. From that, can you look and see character-wise? Are you learning new things? Are you seeing things that need to be changed, et cetera? Yeah, particularly. Usually the first thing that we end up doing is is just a straight read through or just everyone. And it's it's maybe even the first time they're looking at the the words they're supposed to say later just in in a in a, a table kind of setting um and even there you can kind of tell what's working and what's not for the most part um so even like that especially like if the actors are able to immediately grab on to what they're supposed to be doing just from essentially sight reading that's um that's that's actually very very helpful those first rehearsals are usually at least for for my perspective the most helpful yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel like if you can, if there are, obviously, if you have mus- musicians that show up that can sight read and that there's not that obstacle of, of that getting in the way, first of all, I mean, we had, we were, I think we were very fortunate to have people who were very good musicians that showed up. But then also, um, you know, it, it does come down to the idea of like, what is working and what's not. And I think you don't have enough time, obviously in 20 hours of work to do extensive rewrites. We did some, there were some new pages that were coming out while we were rehearsing and David and David were working very hard to kind of make those little adjustments and things like that. But I think it was post show that they were able to kind of do a deep dive and say, this is what we learned from this. And this is what we see was working very easily. And this is what needs to be kind of fixed or massaged and worked on later. But I think I mean, I, I do not discredit the the workshop. I know that, that it's way more of a thing in the theater world than it is in the TV and film world. And I think that, that you learn so much about the product and what you're trying to do and how you're trying to get there as a team. Um, and I've been in a number of workshops now at this point, even just as a director, but also as an actor and the gold that comes out of those circumstances is, is really phenomenal. And, and having that ability to just sort of take that time to hear your words and hear your music, um, as a creator really helps. I think it's really a helpful part of the creative process. It's a hugely helpful part of the process, and we've had five sets of concert or a stage and concert readings. And after each set, like Katie said, we do kind of a deep dive and we go back and we spend literally hundreds of hours on each revision. I mean, this has been almost five years of our life so far, developing Invisible, and we're getting close to knock on wood a really amazing uh, world premiere. Hopefully, with the really good sized budget where we're going to really see everything realized visually. But every single time we've done these workshops, it's been massively, massively helpful. 
And Katie, have you been involved since that reading? Primarily in hugs and cheering. <laughs> no, I, 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 I will say she's also been kind of an unofficial dramaturg. I've called her more yeah, than a few times and yeah, been yeah, like, yeah. Definitely. I, I will unsolicitedly say she can tell you this. I will send her. I wrote this new song. I'm so excited. And, <laughs> and it's like some cheesy MP3 keyboard playing the melody. And I'm sure she's on the other side of the computer going, why are you sending me this? <laughs> no, she's, she's always very gracious and always has something helpful to say. So, yeah, I feel like, um, I obviously from, from sort of a supportive and friend standpoint, I am happy to sort of chime in and I've fought for certain songs that I'm like, that is not going anywhere. You keep that song in the show. It means so much to the show and, you know, those kinds of things, but also just sort of saying, wow, I, I didn't necessarily see, uh, there are changes that I didn't necessarily see coming, which has also been really exciting to witness and to be a part of. And um, I am still involved, obviously, because I care so much about the project and about both of these guys. We had a couple of very opinionated dramaturgs we worked with who were very helpful, but in that in that first draft, really, really hammered that they wanted me to remove Girl in the Dark from the show. Um, no! And well, and that's what that is. It's a it's 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 an eleven o'clock it's an eleven o'clock number. It's a it's a, it's a big ballad in Act Two, um, just by way of explanation, sung by the character Hemlock, the goth girl. And um, I felt really strongly about the song. But when you're a composer, sometimes you don't know. You know, am I attached to this? But nobody else is getting it. And Katie was actually one of a couple voices in my ear saying, "Don't you dare remove that song." And she's part of the reason that song is still on the show. It is such a, it is, you know, I love to hear that people are bringing other songs into their auditions, but like, I want to sing that song somewhere. So, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's those pieces and things that you connect with your audience that that is what people are going to get excited about long-term about this show. And I feel like that's one of the reasons why this show has such legs. I feel like it, it it has such an ability to go so many places because not only is it sort of this throwback fun, like to the eighties and like this, people can be nostalgic about who they were growing up um, and in high school and all of those things, but also like, how does it touch them in their lives now? Uh, I think you guys did an incredible job of kind of incorporating both of those things. Well, before we wrap up, I would just like to know if there's one particular great memory or standout moment from your experience with the show or these guys that you want to share with us. Beside a weekend in Lake Arrowhead? <laughs> <Woo -woo. laughs> oh no. my gosh, I'd almost forgotten about that. Yeah, no. Um, no, I would say, honestly, just to see their commitment to each other and to this project to be reminded, I mean, honestly, prim primarily I'm an actor and I get the fortune every once in a while to like say someone to say, hey, can you direct this? Can you be a part of this? And to see these two guys and how much they care about this project and how much they care about each other and where they're going with this. Um, it's exciting for someone who who comes from the acting side to see that creative fire and creative excitement because I think in some ways as an actor you feel a little bit like oh when is something going to be right for me I'm at the hands of someone else and all of that stuff and I think it's really helped me in a lot of ways to be um, empowered and excited about things that I am creating so I feel like my involvement in this I mean, I feel like my hands were so barely touching this, but just to be in that way at all was is so exciting and I'm so grateful. And um, I am continually inspired by their tenacity to get this show where it needs to be because I think it's it's a hit and it's awesome. And I'm so excited to be there on opening night.
lastly, we talked to the very entertaining and energetic Janelle Allen, who directed the Saddleback College production of Invisible in 2014. So, Janelle Allen, yes. you were the director of the Saddleback College production in 2014, the first time with a live band? Yes. Um, before yes. we start, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about you? Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I always love to say, just Google me, because whatever. But I, uh, well, I got involved with, um, uh, because I was heading up the stage reading um, new works at Saddleback College, the series of things like that. Although my, my own background, aside from being a, a professor over at Saddleback and also now at uh, uh, the Young Americans College for the Performing Arts, I was a child actor in New York, and then I, you know, uh, I was in the original off-Broadway production of Hair, which opened Joe Papp's Public Theater, and then I did... Um, oh, wow, uh, I didn't know that. Joe, yeah, I know, Black Don't Crack. And Joe, uh, and then I was, uh, I did Two Gentlemen of Verona, which was uh, uh, for Joe Papp. We first did it in Central Park, and then it became a huge hit. And then we took it to Broadway, and it was uh, written, well, it was Shakespearean, Two Gentlemen of Verona, so, uh, updated uh, by John Guare, directed by Mel Shapiro. I played Sylvia, as in Who is Sylvia, What is She, that all our sw swains commend her, alongside Clifton Davis's Valentine, Raul Julia's Proteus, and uh, Galt McDermott, who was the composer of the music for Hair, composed the music for Two Gentlemen. And for Two Gentlemen, I was nominated for a Tony Award for Best Actress in a Musical. And then also won the Drama uh, Drama Desk, Drama Critics, Outer Circle Awards, Theater World Awards for that production. And then I came out to, uh, then I was under contract at NBC, came out to California and did a lot of film and television uh, Got a several NAACP Image Awards. Was also nominated for an Emmy for uh, a series I did called Palmerstown USA, which was a joint venture of Norman Lear and Alex Haley, which uh, Alex Haley wrote Roots, and of course uh, uh, Norman Lear, who did a lot, a lot, a lot of television. Very groundbreaking person. And Palmerstown was the first drama to feature an African-American family in a dramatic setting. And it was with um, myself and uh, Bill Duke, who's gone on to be a wonderful director, and a younger kid from Canada who, when the when the uh, show got can was going to be getting canceled, he called me and he said, you know, I really respect you as an actor. Do Should I stay in, in Hollywood or should I go back to Canada? And I said, well, you just stay. What else do you want to do? He says, I love this. I said, well, you stick with it. And it was Michael J. Fox. And so, um, and then from there, I did uh, a television series, which was called um, Barringers, which was from the uh, uh, creators of Dallas and Knott's Landing, uh, David Jacobs and Diana Gould. They did that. And so I played a character called uh, Stacey Russell. So, and that was um, a year prior to uh, Diane Carroll being on Dynasty. So in essence, I was the first African-American actress to uh, have a... Uh, series regular role on a primetime soap opera. And then from there, I did a show called Generations, which was the first soap opera featuring a black core family and a white family. My character was, uh, was uh, her name was Doreen Jackson, and, she, and I was known as a black Erica Kane. And so I was nominated for an Emmy for, for that. And then I did for six, uh, six seasons, um, uh, a, a series called Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, which is still aired all over the world. And, uh, I was the first African American actress to have a series regular role on a primetime Western. So I've, I've done a lot of firsts. So, but I'm not sure if I was the first to direct Invisible. <laughs> So say yes. So say not, say yes and be nice. All right. <laughs> so that's a little. That's like a Reader's Digest just version of me. Although, as I say to people, Google me because there's so much, so much, so much, so much more. 
And I do encourage everybody to Google her because I did. And I will probably read that the rest of the night. So thank you. <laughs> um. <laughs> Janelle is a force of nature. Hi. Okay. Hi. Tell hi. us how you became involved with the Davids in this project. Well, I got involved with the Davids through another David who was my um, – who was my uh, partner that I worked with uh, that we did the uh, stage reading um, series together. And we've also written shows together and so forth and so on named David Anthony. And he had said, this show I think is fantastic. And I said, well, what, what is it? You know, he said, well, it's the invisible man. And so, I was like, which one? Because my mind went to Richard Wright's, you know, a musical version of that. Well, that would be very heavy, you know, but it's good. Richard Wright's a visible man about, you know, the, the black experience in the, um, in the uh, 1950s or 30s, he wrote it, I guess. But anyway, he said, no, 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 no. I went, oh, H.G. Wells. <laughs> and so, which I always loved because I, you know, I loved old movies. And so Claude Rains, I loved that version of it, which I think, you know, was great. And then, of course, Vincent Price did it and so on and so on and so forth. And even like a takeoff of it with a uh, you know, with Carol, Carol Landis and John Barrymore, you know, it was like, you know, the invisible girl or something. <laughs> um, and so when I heard the music and, and I love the take that they did, you know, making it, modernizing it, but still keeping the story, it was just, it was terrific and very funny and funny in a way that, that we didn't know was that we didn't know was funny, you know, and that's when something I think is really good because it's not like, oh, here it comes, we're funny. No, you're not. <laughs> and, but it's like it was snuck up on you, and it was subtle, and it was this and that, and blah blah blah, and it was just funny as hell. Oh, excuse, well, H-E double hockey sticks. It was funny, and also the music. I just love the music. And we had a good time doing it, very good time doing it. And in a stage reading setting, you can't have the, you know, the, the bells and whistles. Of, and, and with something like, you know, where the character is invisible and you can't really do that in a stage reading setting. But it, it still worked. It worked, you know, it, it just worked. And I was uh, I was thrilled. I was thrilled, and it, and it was really great. It's pretty clear mm. that uh, Janelle is really fun to work with, and to say the least, Janelle's a blast. An understatement. David, yeah. you want to uh, comment on your impression of working with her? Janelle, Janelle is she's smart and she's fiery and she's twelve steps ahead of you, and she's daring. I remember one of the, uh, I, I think it was. Lauren, Lauren Graham, not Lauren, not Gilmore Girls, Lauren Graham. Yes, I know. <laughs> yes, yes, we know. No, I had um, her come in specially for this. <laughs> um, and she was terrific. She played Hemlock in our in that reading, and I remember her. She really blew me away on Girl in the Dark, and I I didn't know I didn't know any of these people going in. You know, they just kind of surprised us with this amazing reading, basically. But I remember her telling me Janelle said. Dare, I don't, I'm, I'm going to mess up the wording. She said, Janelle told me to dare to be bad. No, dare to suck. <laughs> dare to suck. Dare and, to suck. And because, because I, uh, as I think I, I mentioned in uh, another part of the interview, I, I wrote a ridiculous, It's it sounds like this fun poppy score, and it is, but it's actually very deceptive. It's very challenging, very hard mm -hmm. to sing. And, um, she just kind of, she kind of blew me out of the water when she, when she sang that number and I asked her and she said, well, I was able to do it because Janelle told me to dare to suck. So, yeah. um, that, that kind of, yeah. I think that kind of sums up Janelle's style. <laughs> she, she's brave and she's bold and she's smart and she knows how to get there. Well, you know, Janelle said the, the invisibility just worked, but the truth is the invisibility worked in that reading. She, cause she did a lot of smart things with the staging and everybody like had their mark. And it was, I, I always marvel at really good direction because it's, it's like this really complicated math problem that I couldn't possibly solve. And yet I wrote the show, but. Something and sometimes, you know, sometimes 
when someone has written a show and they and they attempt to direct it. Some people can really do that, but sometimes it, it can be a little, um, you know, uh, not schizo because you're the writer. But then again, you can't just have just the words on the stage. You know, you have to be able to see the other things with it. If I, I loved it. And because I didn't find it complicated, do you know what I mean? It, it, because, and also I knew the story so well, you know, I knew, um, the HG Wells story. So well, because I went back and read it because yes, I've seen the films and all of that stuff, but yet you go back and, and you always go to the, the source, the source material. And it was like, no, it, I, I'm going to try it, you know, dare to suck. You know, it was, it was <laughs> as much, it was much that kind of a reality for me as it was for the kids, you know, and I got to say, David Anthony just absolutely is very, very good with singers, of course, but he's also very, very good with non-singers, which made it, and that's why I would always love to work with him, because I always come from, even though, like I said, you know, (laughs) won awards for musicals, however, I'm an actor who sings. I'm not a singer, per se. You know, I'm an actor who sings, so I approach everything from what is the story your, your, you know, to me, a song is a monologue with notes. So what is the story you're trying to convey here? Where are you in, in, in the story? Because in a musical, you get to a certain point when you're talking, you're talking, you're telling the story. And then all of a sudden you're singing, just like you're walking along, you're walking along, you're walking along and all of a sudden you're dancing. So there's absolutely no separation between the two. So it has to be fluidity. And in a stage reading, that's even more of, of, it's more highlighted because you truly, you don't have the, the costumes and the bells and the whistles, those kind of accoutrements, you have you. And so it was really, 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 really important that the kids knew the text. The kids were that there was absolutely no kind of separation between when Lauren was telling us, you know, talking about something and then she went into the song or, you know, and with everyone really. And, and when you have source material that is so literate, that's, you know, you're halfway there, you know, you're really halfway there. And the guys are one uh, these, you know, David and David, David squared are really, are really, you know, good wordsmiths. So it, it made it to me, you know, and, and well, you said, Jennifer, you thought stuff. I would have a problem talking for 20 minutes. <laughs> no, I don't doubt you. I don't doubt you in the least. <laughs> I, I want to jump in and just give a quick yeah, shout out to David, do, An- David Anthony too. David Anthony, the music director, was phenomenal, and he was the first person to put charts together for a band and and really was very smart about it. And the cast, too. You guys had really great kids, especially um, Dylan, who played Griff, the lead role. Yes. He was just phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. David Ferris. Yeah, and he's doing well now. Yeah, I I was really um, quite, 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 quite happy with them. They, They really did well. Yes. Janelle, could you tell me if there was any particular songs that really, as a musical theater background as you have, if, if there's any particular songs or moments in the show that really stood out to you and grabbed you? Well, the, the thing that I liked was um, I liked the group numbers. And some of the numbers weren't even group numbers because we had like a cast of 5,000 people. And in a school setting like that, you you want the people to be there but you you did have your leads you know you had you have a a particular group a number of people and so uh what i liked was the fact that we were able to um and maybe the writers didn't like that but we were able to break up the songs 
and it worked, especially like the high school stuff, you know, in the locker rooms and all those kinds of things really jump out at me. They really do. Yeah, I I like the girl in the dark. I also I also love the number that uh, Kemper did. If I were invisible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love what and I love the job that Jake um, uh, Jake LaRosa did with that. I yeah, just, he was a lot of fun. He was, was a lot hilarious. of fun. He was hilarious, you know. And then, of course, there were the um, oh, there there was so much, you know. That's just it. That's just it. Now, the, when you ask about what parts, you know, jump out, all the time you have to, and I understand that after direct, uh, you know, ha- directing now, a director looks at the overall thing. If you talk to one of the actors, they'd say, of course, themselves. But, <laughs> but a, an actor is more, um, uh, more tunnel vision about the songs and the this and the that. But to me, the whole show worked. So for me to say, well, this part was more than the other. To me, I I just thought it was an absolute delight from beginning to end. And and surprising, too, because the thing is, is that I can sit in a rehearsal and think, oh, I'm loving it, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But then when I forget who came in, it was one of the students' uh, sister. Her sister came or whatever, and she was sitting there and she, to one of the rehearsals. And I just, she was just like laughing so much and laughing where I didn't even know that it was humorous. You know what I mean? It was just that, <laughs> and that's what I mean. And in a good way, I'm not saying, oh, <laughs> it's like the person's dying and they're like, well, you die already. But no, it's, it's, um, that was when I realized, oh, the subtleties of this thing. And so the straighter that the person played it, as in, you know, not like saying, look at me, I'm funny. The better it was, the better it was. And that was a, that was a great kind of an aha moment for me. Cause that happened when she was sitting there, like maybe two or three weeks into the process and the thing with, you know, with us, we were only meeting once a week on Saturday. We had a five-hour class on Saturday. So it, by the third week, it's like people are finding their way, but, you know, not really quite there. And somebody was sitting there, which I wouldn't have let that happen anyway, but it was somebody, it was one of the girl's sister, and she was just enjoying the heck out of it. And that was my first inkling into, oh, my goodness. All right. You know, this is a fun journey, you know, uh, for someone to watch, not somebody who's in it, you know, in it and watching every little thing here and there to, you know, with the whole kind of picture, you know, looking at the big picture. And uh, it was really I've had a good time. I really had a good time. Yeah, yeah, we did. That we was almost did. two two years ago, right? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So, have yes. you kept up with um, the pr- the progress of the musical, or are you involved in any other aspect of it at this point? No. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just yeah. put the Davids on the spot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, I mean, I I totally understand that. You know, wh- wherever the next the the next incarnation takes them you know sometimes the director will be involved so most of the time that's what happens so it's not like I'm thinking oh yeah well don't forget about me because I can really work with it when you have you know when you have a stage and you can have props (laughs) well yeah a lot a lot of what's happening with the development of the show is we've been supported by one organization or one group and so everybody kind of has their own team so when the show is being Absolutely. When the show was being done at Saddleback, I actually had like people from the the cast of the first reading coming to be kind of angry that they weren't involved. I'm like, but that's it's it's a student. You're not a student at Saddleback. <laughs> this is there, there's oh. no this, that's not how the, that's not how this works. Um, oh, so that's so too bad. <laughs> but they don't know that. No, no, no. But I mean, they're lovely, lovely, lovely people. But we. Uh, but they so were every, adults, every, weren't they? Every, but everywhere we everywhere we go. 
there's every kind of a different group of people that oh, might have their absolutely. own team or their own. Um, mm-hmm. So a well, lot of times the Davids don't yeah. have a lot of authority. <laughs> well, I know. I yeah. mean, that's, that's the, that's the plight of most writers. I mean, even when they're writers who, you know, are absolute, uh, cause I, you know, and I, I mean, yeah, there's always a producer or, or somebody else that somebody has to answer to. And that's yeah, what I understand as a professional, you know, I mean, I get it. I know, <laughs> I know that. <laughs> well, Janelle, I think I could um, happily talk to you for 17 hours and hear your stories. um, yes i know but i hear it's it's like now we gotta wind this up (laughs) uh i'd really love to talk to you for 17 hours but goodbye (laughs) i seriously want to hear every story you have but in as in relation to invisible um i really appreciate you joining us david do you have any last thoughts and words (laughs) for janelle on a very personal note, um, and, and I don't, I don't mean to bring, I don't, I don't mean to bring it down, um, but uh, in two thousand, yeah, on April of two thousand fourteen, yeah. um, three yeah. days, three days before the uh, performance at Saddleback, my mom passed away suddenly and unexpectedly, and um, I almost didn't make it to the show, but you know, realized my mom wouldn't have wanted anything else but for me to be there, and. Um, uh, you know, there's something about Janelle's spirit that actually really reminds me of my mom and serendipitously, my mom's favorite television show next to Star Trek was Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. And my mom was a huge fan of Janelle. Um, and so it was a very uh, therapeutic isn't even the right moment. Cathartic. It was a very cathartic moment for me to sit and laugh and cry and with it it was an incredibly generous audience two people were standing out of their seats and it was just it was really a moment um and uh a really a moment of healing for me and it was something i'm going to remember for the rest of my life that that reading uh, yeah because you never you never tell told me this until after the reading yeah after the reading and i was just but she was there that night you know yeah. i mean she was there because there was a there was an energy and a light in that um in that theater that uh was quite quite astounding and she was there she was yeah, there. i think so too absolutely and that's not i mean i don't think that's down at all i think that's it's what it that's what it's about that's what you know, the arts are about, it's about spiritual uplifting. I agree. That's what it's about. That's an amazing story, David. Um, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. David Hollingsworth. You I want to try well, and top that? I, <laughs> I, I can't. So I'm just, I just have to say, I, 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 for, for every immediately apparent reason, uh, I love Janelle. She's, she is, <laughs> <laughs> well, good, I but remember. we won't tell your wife. <laughs> well, no, that's the thing. That's the thing. Is now that, that we is know that... it's working. <laughs> we, but, so when uh, this was before we were married, my wife and I actually got to see one of the um, see one of the rehearsals, which was sort of a rare thing, um, at least in, in this case, because we we'd only dealt in rehearsals where we were there the entire time. We were there every step of the way, and this one we kind of got to walk in. Kind of as you guys were were in progress, and as you guys had already met a couple times and worked with the material, and uh, it was it was so apparent your your touch on on the students understanding the material and the life you brought to that room, and I, I just was was immediately blown away. And my wife turned to me and just like whispered in my ear as you were as you were um, giving some notes, just uh, and just went, "I this woman is amazing." <laughs> And, uh, and we've like, she's remained like in our, in our, just in our hearts and our thoughts, the like ever sense of, of like, gosh. How sweet. Because when, when you guys walked in and I didn't know you, 
I didn't know yeah. you. And I saw you guys said come in and walk. And, and, I, and I'm like, I, my alter ego, Ponell's like, who the hell are these people coming to my rehearsal? <laughs> 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 like, who are they? And then it was like, <laughs> that's <laughs> amazing. David said, said the, uh, my David, you know, <laughs> said, those are the writers. And I was like, who are the, oh, hello, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> And not for not for nothing, just to circle back to what we were saying a little bit earlier, we would jump at the chance to work with Janelle again if it presented itself. Oh, my goodness. And in a heartbeat. Great. <laughs> great, great, great. Great, great, great. Janelle, you are unbelievably delightful to talk to. So thank you so much for calling and letting us talk to you for a little bit. Well, you called me. <laughs> but thank you. Fair enough. <laughs> The next episode is our season one finale of Making a Musical. We will catch up with the Davids months after our initial recordings with them and discuss their most recent staged reading that I got to attend in person. We'll also find out where Invisible is going from here. <laughs>